Hello everyone, welcome to Healthline 3, I'm Terry Simmons. And today we're talking with Dr. Jeffrey A. Bear of WK Piermont OBGYN Specialist about cervical cancer screenings and prevention. We'll be taking your calls throughout the show and as a reminder, please make sure you're in a quiet room with your TV turned down really low so that we can hear your questions for sure. The number to call is 318-219-4569 and you'll see it at the bottom of your screen throughout the show. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. <laughs> so let's talk, begin with, we did earlier this morning too, about screenings. And we're gonna be talking about pap smears and cervical cancer and prevention, but how important really it is to have a screening, what that really does, um, having it at an opportune time, and, and when you find something, what happens next? Yeah, absolutely. So just like you said, I mean, it's screening is kind of one of the benefits that we have in the medical community, and there's different modalities of screening. There's different screenings that we do. You, you do DEXA screenings, you do colonoscopy screenings, you do mammograms, which are screenings. There's even now, you know, CT scans that can be screening for patients who are, you know, have a history of smoking, and, and these are not diagnostic tests by any, by any means, but they're screening modalities and so hopefully that you can pick up things like cancer a lot earlier versus <clears throat> whenever we see you when you've already had a diagnosis of cancer and so it's an opportunity to kind of help pick up these things and the reason why we do them is because we've been able to help reduce um, and hopefully decrease the incidence of, of cervical cancers in the community. And so let's talk about the, the screening for particular things of cervical cancer. Yeah. So a long time, like sometimes people might not know the difference. People will say, I'm going to have a pap smear. I'm having pap Absolutely. smear. Absolutely. The pap smear is actually the screening test. It's not, it's different than having just a pelvic exam. Exactly. So tell the difference in that. Yeah, I think everybody, you know, always <laughs> thinks when they go to the, the gynecologist yes. that, you know, I'm gonna have, I'm just gonna have my pap smear. Mm -hmm. and, and like you said, it's, yes, it is a pelvic exam, but it is part of a pelvic exam. And it's not something that technically sometimes has to be done every year, but it's a, it's an actual screening and it's a swab um, and or brush. And sometimes there's different types of, you know, instruments that we can use that obtain essentially cervical cells from the actual cervix that gets sent off to a pathologist for them to read. Um, and so by virtue, that is what a, you know, what a pap smear is. Um, there's different portions to a pap smear and that's why we kind of, and I try to have a little bit of a detailed conversation that doesn't sometimes go over people's heads, but helps them kind of understand exactly what we're doing. And so there's, there's the cellular portion of the pap smear that we look at actual cells of the cervix um, because you know, the, the cervix is a, uh, you know, a cell and it's made up of, of, of a group of cells and it actually, that body actually turns those cells over sometimes. Um, and so we look at the cellular portion and then <clears throat> depending on age, uh, when you're getting screened, we sometimes look at HPV. So we look at high risk mm -hmm. HPV testing. And so sometimes we can just do a cytology, which is the cellular portion, or sometimes we'll do both, what we'd call co-testing. And that's the cellular portion of the pap smear and the HPV portion. Um, now, you know, a few years ago, they put out a recommendation that we could look at just doing high risk HPV testing alone. Um, which is has some FDA approval. Um, however, sometimes if you look at the United States as a whole, some of those tests are a little bit limited. The labs that can be able to perform those tests in other areas in the community, maybe some of the low socioeconomics communities, and those have a little bit limited uh, access to that. And so sometimes we look at maybe doing a combined test versus doing high-risk HPV alone in some of those populations. But it really just depends on the conversation, you know, that you have with your patient and, and trying to get them on a schedule um, so that they can at least have, hopefully, no gaps in screening. No gaps. That's the good important yeah. part. And you mentioned HPV. Let's talk about that. What is HPV for people who don't know? So HPV is the human papillomavirus. 
Um, it's a well-known virus. It's been well studied, and it's uh, in large proportion, you know, significantly associated in the majority of the cause of, of cervical cancer, yeah. um, and not only cervical cancer, but also oropharyngeal cancers, um, anal cancers. There's a multitude of cancers, and also low-risk things like genital warts and those types of things are associated with that. Um, and so whenever you get into talking about HPV vaccine, it's not just cervical cancer that we're hopefully trying to reduce the, the you know, risk and incidence of, but also other forms of cancer as well, like I said, oropharyngeal and those types of things. Okay. Well, we have a Lois on the line. Lois, what is your question? Yes, I'd like to know, I'm 71 years old and I still have all my female organs. Uh, I've been told by doctors that I do not need a pap smear, but I feel like maybe I should. What would be his uh, recommendation for that? So that's a great question. Um, and, you know, I always kind of try to start off by saying <clears throat> you definitely need a pelvic exam. Um, I would recommend having a pelvic exam at least every year, you know, if not every other year by a provider. It doesn't have to be a gynecologist. But when it comes to the actual screening of the cervix and, the, you know, cervical cancer and also a pap smear, technically the guidelines do say, and it looks at, we look at grade, grade of evidence, okay? And so when you look at grade A versus things like grade D, technically it does kind of fall against grade D. But it says that if you've, if you're past the age of 65 and you've had previously normal negative routine screening within the last 10 years, and that includes HPV, that you can forego actually getting pap smears. That doesn't mean that you don't need to have a pelvic exam, but you can technically go without having a pap smear past the age of 65. Now, if you previously had a history of abnormal screens, um, then it is recommended that we probably continue that screening process beyond the age of 65. Does that answer your question, Lois? Is she still there? Is Lois still there? Okay. Well, I bet you answered her question then. But I see, you know, the thing that I also tell everybody is I have plenty of patients who are beyond this age of 65, and if it gives them peace of mind, I'll still do a screen for them. I mean, you know, it's one of those that I'm not going to argue back and forth. I mean, peace of mind goes a long way in somebody's, um, but we have to have a, you know, a conversation that sometimes to the cells, and a 65-year-old and a 70-year-old, which is, you know, still very young and vibrant, <laughs> are a little bit different than whenever you're in your 20s and 30s. And so sometimes we may pick up things that may not necessarily be an abnormality, but it's just due to the aging process. And so that's just a conversation that I try to have to say, we can continue it if you want, but we may find an abnormality that's really not truly an abnormality. It may come back atypical when it really isn't atypical. It may just be due to atrophy. Okay, that's a really good point I'm going to get back to. We have a Sharon on the line right now. Sharon, what is your question? I wanted to know, I've had a hysterectomy, but is it routine that I still have to have a perception? That's a great question. Mm -hmm. So, um, and it's a question that we have, always have a conversation whenever I'm, I'm talking, you know, preoperatively, preoperatively when patients are getting hysterectomy. So, kind of in a similar standard, if you've previously had um, normal routine screening, no history of high grade lesions or anything like that, and the cervix is removed during your hysterectomy, which this day and age, majority of the time, we're not doing what we call super cervical hysterectomies, but the cervix gets removed, then no, you do not need to continue to have pap smears. You still need to continue to have pelvic exams where the, you know, um, the vagina and the remainder of the tissue is still evaluated, 
but in, in, in regards to continuing pap smears, you don't have to. Now, if you've had a hysterectomy, let's say you're having a hysterectomy for a chronic history of atypia or dysplasia, which are bigger kind of words for abnormal cells, essentially. Um, or if you've, you're having it for other reasons, but you have had a history of abnormal pap smears, then you do need to continue pap smear screening at that time. Okay. Does that answer your question, Sharon? Yes, ma'am, it did. Okay. Thank you so much for calling. Yes, it did. And that's a really important thing to mention, too, that people think, people have all kinds of things that go through there when they have a hysterectomy, and you think it's all gone, but back in the day, they did leave the cervix, and so that's what, that's actually what you're getting the, getting from. That's what you're... Correct. It, it, so if and you have your cervix, then there is something to Absolutely. Test. And like, you know, the, the biggest reason sometimes for why we may want to continue for somebody who's had a history of it is, yes, even though we're doing a hysterectomy or removing the cervix, a lot of times there may still be remnants that you may not see, but of cervical tissue that's still present. Mm. And so there's always a possibility that you could still have developed atypia um, or have some abnormalities of the tissue because of that. It's not 100% guaranteed because we're doing, for lack of a better term, a simple hysterectomy. So therefore, you're kind of getting right right there on the edge of that border um, and so if you've had a history of an abnormality or if you've got risk or anything like that then yeah that is a conversation you want to have with your provider about continuing that screening okay and we have a miss lavisca on the line what is your question hello i'm uh, yes i'm 74 do i still need a pelvic exam Yes, we do recommend a pelvic exam. Um, like I was telling previously, <clears throat> as far as for continuing pap smear screening, it, it all depends on your history and whether you not, uh, you've had a history of, of routine screening and that it's been normal, and that includes HPV co-testing as well, not just cytology testing. Um, but we do recommend continuing to have pelvic exams past the age of 65. Um, it's even, I would say it's even more important, especially if you still do have a uterus, um, ovaries and cervix and those types of things because, you know, we're not just looking just at cervical cancer. There's things like vaginal cancer. Um, there's things like vulvar cancer and those types of things. And so sometimes, even though patients go to a doctor routinely and every provider is fantastic, but sometimes it's almost, for lack of a better word, no man's land where they just don't do those types of things. And, and a lot of women may not complain about it, but you can go years and years and years. And that's unfortunately where we kind of get into an issue where sometimes we may miss things that we could have maybe seen had a patient had a routine pelvic exam. Okay, yeah, that's really good to know. Does that answer your question? Yes, thank you. Oh, sure, thank you yes. so much for calling. And that is another thing that we hear. I'm so glad these particular questions are coming from our viewers today because a lot of times we're told, even though you'll hear the terminology, you may not need one after a certain time. Just like you said, if you feel, if you, no one's gonna tell you no. If you want to have the screening, if you feel like you want to have the test, you still can, right? Absolutely. For peace of mind. Right. And you know, that's why I always try to tell everybody too, when we're talking even, even routine healthy patients that are in the, um, you know, screening guidelines per se, even though I might say, okay, well, once we've hit 30, you've had a pap smear today and we've done co-testing and that means that your cytology was normal and your HPV was negative. 
technically by guidelines that means that we could go another five years without testing you some patients may hear that it was i don't need to see you for five years <laughs> right and that's where that kind of runs into an issue because the other things you got to think about too is that yeah we might have to we may not be able to do or we may not have to do a pap smear for another five years but let's say you're 40 that means you need a mammogram every year and so those are things that i try to explain to them is that in addition to having a pelvic exam um, you know, there's other routine screening modalities that we need to talk about and just making sure that you kind of stay up to date on your health and, and not extending it. And some people are scared. Some people might yeah. have maybe, in addition to being just scared in general of, you know, the gynecologist and, you know, it's a, <clears throat> can sometimes be an uncomfortable discussion, uh, this, you know, uncomfortable exam, but also they may have, they may have maybe fallen out of that screening guidelines mm -hmm. and they're scared that they may find something and so they prolong it and those are the ones that the unfortunate cases sometimes when we catch you too far out on the back end and so you know we may catch cervical cancer on the very back end when maybe we might have been able to catch a lot earlier yeah and that's really a good point to talk about today I think we um, sometimes it's like letting someone off the hook yeah. this is not something that you know our grandmothers and mothers and told the daughters it's not great it's just something you do you don't want to do it and whatever was in your mind about with having this exam every year and if you're told you don't need a certain test anymore you're like Phew, I'm off the hook I don't right. have to go anymore right. um, so what are the things and that's why we want to stress that today go you know have ask the questions go it doesn't mean you're off the hook it's all, totally up to you but there's still things that you can do and go and have these tests so much more goes on once you're past the recommended guidelines of having certain tests. So where are the, where do these guidelines come from? What determines at a certain age when someone does, can someone still get cervical cancer in their 70s and 80s? Or where, where do the guidelines fall as far as age and not needing to have certain screenings? So the guidelines come from colleges essentially, but also it looks at studies that have looked at for a multitude of years and where do we see the biggest incidence and biggest age groups who develop cervical cancer. Um, and you know, there's a reason why we kind of basically look at cutoffs because you look at number needed to treat, things like that, that, that studies can kind of develop in statistical significance when it comes to certain age groups. And um, we know that a majority of cervical cancers are going to be found in these particular age groups. Among what we look at, and that's why we look at screening, is screening amongst low-risk populations, not high-risk, because that is a different screening um, guidelines, I would say. So we know that if we screened every single person under the moon beyond that, that, beyond that age, we may pick up some, but the, the likelihood is that we wouldn't pick up as much as we normally would beyond the, before those age groups. And that's why we kind of dictate these particular age groups and also the reference range. Because when you're in your, your 20s and even sometimes in your 30s and we look at HPV testing, we know that the body's ability to clear those viruses is a lot more readily uh, able to than when we get a little bit older. So when we get to le be a little bit older, especially in our 40s and 50s, the body's not as adept at, at clearing that virus. And that's the biggest reason why we look at and talk about common conversations with HPV vaccination is because that's a primary prevention. Hopefully we can, you have a vaccine that's almost 99% effective at protecting the body if it's never been exposed to a particular high-risk strand. It's not as great because if you already have, you're already positive for say, HPV 16 and 18, which is the most common ones associated with cervical cancer and the high-risk strands. It's not going to be great at trying to just clearing those, but if you can 
prevent somebody, especially in that primary age group. The biggest one we look at is the 11 and 12 year olds. Mm -hmm. And you can even do it as early as nine year olds with just a regular immunization platform. But that 11 and 12 is, for lack of a better word, the sweet spot when we want to try to get people vaccinated. Because if we can get them vaccinated, then we can helpfully prevent acquisition of high risk strains in the future. And the more people we can get vaccinated, then you're gonna see a lower incidence of, of cervical cancer. Um, the U.S. right now is not that great. I mean, honestly, you're looking at about a 50, maybe 55% vaccination rate amongst women. Wow. Um, against a vaccine, vaccine, with a vaccine that's highly, highly effective. You look at places like Australia and some other places that might even mandate it, they've seen a significant reduction in HPV-related cancers like cervical cancer, almost upwards of, of 80%. And so that's the biggest reason why I like to try to, you know, have an educated conversation with somebody to kind of explain to them that, you know, this is a vaccine that's highly, highly effective. And if given, um, you know, obviously at that time, like I told you, 11 to 12, you can hopefully prevent a lot of it. But also even beyond the age of 26, which is what used to be the age of when you could give that vaccine series, um, luckily the FDA approved its approval out beyond past now to the age of 45. Oh. So even patients who come to me and they're 27 and they may um, have not had that vaccine, I'll have a conversation with them that <clears throat> even if you've already begun to have sex, even if you've been exposed to HPV, it's still something that I recommend doing um, and getting vaccine vaccinated against. That's incredible. And, and such good news to talk about today, especially if we have any parents who are watching and concerned and have questions, do you, when to start certain things, you know, with your children, with your daughters. And so the vaccine is still around. Absolutely. It's still here. It's so effective. Is it something that is um, brought to the attention of parents? Uh, do doctors do that or do we need to ask about it with our children? What do we do? I think both. I mean, I think obviously it's a conversation that typically starts with a pediatrician. Um, but then also, you know, if there's a lot of sometimes apprehension, because I think there's, it's a little bit of a taboo when you talk about HPV vaccine, because every parent, my kid's not going to be like that. My kid's not going to be sexually active. Right. And it's not about your kid being sexually active at 16 and 18. It's about what happens when they get married or they, you know, obviously they get a little bit older and they do become sexually active. And so I think if you can kind of get over that hump sometimes, and there's always different religious beliefs, there's, there's different social beliefs or those types of things. But honestly, it's just a conversation that does need to start with a provider. And like I said, it typically will happen with a pediatrician or a primary care provider. And, um, and then hopefully be continued on with whenever, you know, a patient does eventually present with a gynecologist. And so that's why I try to sometimes say, a lot of parents say, well, when should my daughter go see a gynecologist? And a lot of times that's really up to the patient too. Um, I have patients as young as sometimes 14 and then sometimes I try to say, you know, maybe 16 or 18 is the time that we should come and have a conversation. Um, you know, not only to talk about sexual health and safe habits, but also making sure that, you know, we are being properly vaccinated and we can have a discussion about, okay, what is the upcoming years gonna look like for me? When do I when do I start pap smear screening if, if no one's told them? And, and if it's, you know, a low risk normal population, <clears throat> or I shouldn't say a patient, somebody who's never been diagnosed with HIV or something of that nature, then 21 is the recommended age. Um, and just having those kind of conversations and answering any questions or concerns that you may have or things you may read out there because there's a ton of information mm -hmm. out there. And a lot of it's good and a lot of it sometimes is maybe a little bit misleading. And so just trying to answer those questions and hopefully some of the, you know, things that may not be true and some of the things that are true about it.
And it's all very general, but it's also, like everything, boils down to be specifically to you. Absolutely. You, as your lifestyle, your patient. And do you feel like it's an opportunity for a, a parent to explain to a daughter that it's nothing out of the ordinary? This is just one extra thing that you do for your body. Absolutely. It's not anything taboo. It's nothing to be ashamed of. It's nothing that makes you weird that women have to go do this. This is just another healthy conversation to have another way that we, it's an opportunity. So it's not something you have to do. It's something you get to do. This right. is another thing that we get to do because we do have, our bodies are made, the women's bodies are made for all these to reproduce. And I understand, I hear what you're saying, and the things that we think about different phases of different body, our body will naturally take care of certain things. We're in the childbearing ages. Our bodies know so much right. about what's going on at different styles. And teenagers are getting ready to be an adult and reproduce. Right. And so that's the time to have a healthy conversation about it. Absolutely. And you know, it's always, I think it's not just, it's not just females. I mean, we're talking yeah. about vaccination against males too. And mm -hmm. you gotta think about who's a carrier and, and it's not like, everyone's walking around with a HPV card says that I have I'm positive for HPV and and that's a you know not to joke but it's also one of those that you know we the thing is that we really don't know how many times it requires you to get exposed to it for it maybe to cause an issue it could be one time now we know that multiple sexual partners has an increased risk for cervical cancer or, or you know atypia but I can't promise you that it may not be one exposure that might I've, I've definitely caught you know cervical cancer at the age of 21 and that's an unfortunate thing um, and so that's why I try to say that if we can, again, getting vaccinated at that opportune time is the best prevention that you can do. Um, and it's not like something that has required a booster. It's a two-dose series at that age. And if you get above, you know, typically sometimes around the age of 15, that may require a three-dose series. Um, but it isn't something that requires a booster every year. It's a, it's a prevention, lifetime prevention. Lifetime prevention. And you talk about, it's, that's a good point. We're not just talking about females. We're not just talking yeah. about women and young girls with this, with HPV and getting the vaccination. Right. Right. And who and males are affected with this. The Absolutely. Same time. Yeah. Like I said, I mean, it's not just cervical cancer we're talking about. Yeah. We're talking about, you know, oropharyngeal cancers, you know, anal cancer. And um, and so, you know, when we have discussions, that I'd, I'd say that this is regardless of whether your, your social beliefs are, what your sexual preferences are. Or this is about some, you know, this is something that and again, when they extended that FDA approval out, that was for males and females, not just females. Right. Um, and so, like I said, I mean, obviously, you can start this series as early as nine. That's um, the most opportune time is 11 to 12, and then it was a previously extended out to age 26, and that was hopefully into in kind of uh, capture a group of patients or people that had maybe not had any kind of exposure to HPV, and then we have a conversation when we start hitting the age of 27 to 45, and let's say you've already, you're already sexually active, you might have been exposed to HPV, and that's a conversation that even though you might have been exposed or you are still sexually active and you've never been vaccinated, that it's a recommended that you can get that vaccine and go ahead and maybe you know have a conversation with your doctor, your provider about, should I get it? And it's a good thing that you brought up about the, the ethical, there's no judgment. And these terms that we use, we hear sexually active, we hear multiple partners. That does not mean being promiscuous. Absolutely. Multiple partners could mean married, and if for some reason you remarry. Absolutely. And, and then that's a multiple. That's or let's case. say that yeah. let's say that you're you're you know unfortunately maybe your partner has passed i mean and, and yeah, you, you get married I mean. again and yeah. that's you know those are the things that sometimes i think nobody wants to nobody thinks about in the future but it is mm -hmm. true you know and it's and it's one of those that um you know i think living in the in the shell of well nothing this will never happen to me or this will not be and look at the end of the day life happens and so i'm 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 hopefully um 
you know, I want to be an advocate for you and, and for, you know, for all patients to say, okay, life happens. I mean, we went through a pandemic. <laughs> there's, there's, you know, a lot of unexpected things. And so if you have opportunities and you have a, a method of hopefully helping reduce and prevent, then you should take it, you know, and, and, and or at least have a conversation in, with your provider about what are, what are the risks, benefits, and limitations. And that's with anything in life. Yeah, at least have the conversation. Don't be afraid to ask the questions. There's no wrong question. There's nothing right. too embarrassing to ask because no. you have heard it all. I have. You've considered it all. I have. You've studied it all. Yeah. And so I don't think there's anything that a woman could walk in and ask you that we, you would not take seriously no. and it'd be a question that's so valid. Right. And we need to remember that. Absolutely. That's what you're there for. Okay. And so say we get an abnormal pap smear. What does yeah. that mean? So, uh, you know, again, understanding it's a screen, right? So it's not diagnostic. And mm. so sometimes we may, that means that you you may pick up something that is abnormal that may not be abnormal. Um, and so that's always important to kind of understand with the difference between screening tests and diagnostic tests. And so um, let's say that you are 21 and you present for your first pap smear and it comes back atypical or it's, it's abnormal, okay? So um, the ASCCP, is great little organization even have an app on your phone and look I look at my app on my phone a lot of times just to remember kind of where we're at in, in the screening process but a lot of times we can kind of watch those patients okay we may <clears throat> obviously have a conversation about safe sex practices HPV vaccine that type of thing but a lot of times we may just look at cytology alone in that age group so typically around 21 to 24 we'll just maybe lose cytology testing alone okay and then when we hit about the age maybe a 25 to 30, we may look at start doing cytology with what we call reflex testing. Maybe if it is an abnormality that's a grade of like maybe an ASCIS or what we call LCIL, those types of uh, terminology that we look at to see if we may test them for HPV. Depending on that, those types of things, we may bring a patient back and do what's called like a colposcopy or we may look at it with a microscope and those types of things. But it all depends on what their age and risk factors are and so like I said you may be 21 with an abnormal pap but we may watch you and like I said it all depends on where you're at because like we talked about earlier the body's ability to clear these types of things is pretty good okay we actually kind of know now especially with some of these lower grade dysplastic cells and um, dysplastic diagnoses that if we give them maybe a two-year 24 months that they're actually can clear them versus being really aggressive and so it has to it kind of depends on the conversation with the patient provider and their age back in the day unfortunately when we used to kind of screen a lot of patients before the age of 21 we were picking up a lot of these abnormalities early on and then all of a sudden we saw them into their 20s and they didn't have them anymore and so we tried to, that's when we kind of moved the paradigm and switching them to the age of 21 because we were picking up a lot of things that, again, like I said, the body was going to clear on its own. Um, and so whenever you now start to hit the age of 30, we start to be a little bit more aggressive. And I shouldn't say aggressive, I should say co-testing where we kind of look at both of those, the cellular portion and the HPV portion. And so let's say that all of a sudden you do have a significant abnormality that comes back and then we look at it in the microscope in the clinic and we may pick up something then we can talk about other modalities of what might be an option like maybe an excisional procedure or having a conversation about if a hysterectomy is warranted and that you know I would always try to caution people that a hysterectomy is kind of down the road depending on how far we are into this diagnosis and then obviously if for some reason something significant happens when you really do have full-blown cervical cancer some really really early cervical cancers can be treated with an excisional procedure or a simple hysterectomy 
Some may require a more extensive surgery, and that might be a conversation with what's called like a GYN oncologist. Um, and they, you know, sometimes may require surgical excision. They may sometimes require radiation and, and chemo, those types of things, depending on um, their diagnosis. Hopefully, though, our goal is to prevent getting to that point. Right. Yeah, which is all the more go pull it right back to those screenings. Yes. And getting an, and I love that you said that it's, when you get an abnormal test back and you're asked to come in and go further, that's not a diagnosis. It means just what it said, it's abnormal. It's something that could be starting. It's something that looks like we need to pay attention to, right? Yeah, absolutely. And that's all the thing that I try to do is have a conversation. One, to try to, you know, ease the, um, you know, the fear. Because sure. like I said, this is a screening test. This doesn't mean it's diagnostic. Um, you know, when we look at colposcopies and those types of things that are a little bit more diagnostic and we do excisional procedures, hopefully we don't even have to get there. Hopefully this is just something that was, you know, atypical that was picked up on a pap smear. We sometimes take a look and there's really nothing that's wrong, but we at least, I'd rather be safe than sorry. Right. Um, and so that's the kind of thing that we kind of always want to look at is a lot of times I'll get referrals from people that may have gone six, seven, eight, nine years without a pap smear. And it's not necessarily that there's anything wrong with them. Maybe something happened to their insurance or maybe they moved or they had a life event. And, and those are the things that are saddest because we could have caught things a little bit earlier and we might have been able to pick up something that might have been abnormal a little bit earlier that might not have gotten to this where we're at right now and in, in its stage and aggressiveness. Which is another thing that is a threat is just keeping that communication open. Right. Like say that happens and someone hasn't been for whatever reason for a few years, then they're afraid to go back. Right. There's so much judgment that we put on ourselves sometimes. Like I don't want to go back and plus I may, I don't like we started with, I don't want to hear it if there is something. Right. Come in, it's fine. That's the whole point. At least you're there. Absolutely. Yeah, because it is for all different reasons. You move, you loved your doctor, you couldn't find another one or your, your insurance especially in during COVID, we don't know what's going to happen. So right. you can get back on track anytime and just see what's going on and open up the conversation. Absolutely, and I always say, look, sometimes I just have people come in and just sit and talk. Just talk. You know, just to talk, yeah. <laughs> just to see if they need anything or if they don't need anything. Right, well, this has been a very good example of that. Thank you so much for spending time with well, us thank and explaining you for all me. this. Oh, sure, it's a very important topic and we've really enjoyed talking to you, thank you. Appreciate you. And for everyone, thank you so much for calling in. Thank you for staying with us. We'll see you next time on Helpline 3.